well, uh, Christmas is almost here. All the buildup and planning, all the gifts and baking, all the parties. And anybody still have um, uh, any? Anybody still have some last-minute shopping to do? Anybody still shopping? A couple people. Okay, they're all very, very. Oh no, some older people. I was gonna say they're all young, but um, so uh, right. Well, I've made no secret that. Uh, that Christmas, uh, you know, I absolutely love Christmas. It's one of my favorite parts of the year. Um, I, anybody, and one of the one of my favorite things about Christmas is the movies, and we were just talking about that. Um, and I love the the Grinch, and I love Elf, and I, I love. I mean, honestly, there's very few Christmas movies I don't like. Um, anybody like more of the traditional movies, like It's a Wonderful Life and kind of the older ones? Okay, a few of us. Yeah, anybody, has anybody not seen It's a Wonderful Life? Raise your hand if you've never seen It's a, it is, your life is not wonderful because you have not seen It's a Wonderful Life. It, you, that is your assignment between now and Christmas. You need to watch, it's, it's such a great movie. Uh, but I don't know if this has ever happened to you where you've been watching a Christmas movie and you realize that you were tricked into watching a romantic comedy uh, that was disguised as a Christmas movie. I mean, it's literally like every movie that's on the Hallmark Channel uh, this time of year. It's not really a Christmas movie. It's just, it's, it's just more of a romantic movie. You know? and, and I mean, not that I actually know because I haven't actually watched any of the Hallmark. Danny, I know. I know you're a big Hallmark movie watcher. But ha- have you seen the one on Hallmark where the busy single executive has lost sight of the meaning of Christmas, and so she leaves the big city and travels home for the holidays to a small town where her family lives, and then a Ryan Reynolds, Ryan Reynolds type character, it's not Ryan Reynolds, but like a budget Ryan Reynolds is, uh, is you, know, he, you know, he's there, and she kind of grew up with him, and he, he reminds her or teaches her the meaning of Christmas again, and then they kiss at midnight. I, I, I think that's literally the plot to every single Hallmark Christmas movie, like I, I found like this on the line, like they're not even trying anymore. Like every, these are all Hallmark movies. Somebody's in green, somebody's in red, and they're, you know, standing in front of Christmas decorations. They're all the same. Don't get sucked into it, people. Uh, but I, I actually like the Santa Claus movies uh, with Tim Allen. And last week uh, we were watching the Santa Claus 2, and uh, I've seen it a bunch of times. And about halfway through, it just hit me. This is just a romantic comedy disguised as a Christmas movie. Like, he's got to get married and fall in love, and it's just a love story between him and Mrs. Claus and Principal Newman, you know, who becomes Mrs. Claus. Um, but love is such a huge theme at Christmas, right? That there's, there's this sense that it's the perfect time of year to fall in love or to declare your love to design or receive the perfect sort of romantic moment or gift. And no matter how dysfunctional any of our relationships are, whether they're with our siblings or our parents or our kids, it's almost as if sometimes we believe that Christmas has this like seasonal superpower to sort of hypnotize people into loving us the way that we want them to love us. And of course, that isn't the case, like, in real life, right? Like, guys, I got bad news for you. If you were in the friend zone before Christmas, you're going to probably be in the friend zone after Christmas, too. Uh, and, and so it's easy for us to go through the holidays and get all the way into New Year's and kind of be disappointed with that things were not different, that things were the same as they've always been. But based on movies and Christmas cards and social media, like, we're not, you know, it, it feels like we're the only ones not experiencing the love that we want to experience. And it plays out in different ways though, right? Like, like if you're single, Christmas can feel like, you know, tis the season to feel left out. 
And, and you're just kind of waiting for somebody in your family to ask, like, hey, when are you going to settle down? Or any lucky ladies in your life? You know, come on. You know, if you're dating, there's this heightened expectation that, that the, the person you're dating would somehow impress your family with the way that they dress or the gifts that they give or just the way that they live. And, and if it's a serious relationship, there's this weird kind of pressure that it's the perfect time to sort of propose and, and take it to the next level. And, and if you're married, there's this natural impulse to kind of compare your life and your family and your marriage and how you want things to be to how everyone else is sort of doing what they do. Or, or at least what it looks like, what they're doing, right? Like that dad over there, man, he, like, he, he isn't really working as much this Christmas and he's creating all these special Christmas moments with his kids or that mom somehow always decorates her house in just the perfect way and, or, or super mom over there, you know, she's able to work and somehow still makes all the Christmas goodies that everybody loves or now that guy, he really knows how to dress appropriately for a Christmas party or that family over there, they do everything together for Christmas and they decorate the tree and they shop and they watch holiday movies and they go ice skating and can we just be honest, ice skating is way overrated as an activity it's fun to watch other people ice skate but it, you know it's it's let's just stop but we think like if if we were more in love or just had better relationships or if our life or our family if it would just if it would just be a little bit more like those people over there if we just fix this relationship everything would just like it would just seem so perfect and, and the truth is like we tend to want to put a face on love don't we whether it's your boyfriend or girlfriend or fiance or your wife or your friends or family or maybe your grandma, whoever, like we, we want to, we want to put a face on love. And so with Christmas, you know, only being a couple of days away, I, I thought it was kind of fitting for us to end our journey talking about love. And all month long, we've been dealing with kind of the ad, Advent themes of, of hope and peace and joy and today talking about the love of God. And so like every other Sunday this month, I want to begin with the description of Christmas that's found in the book of Isaiah chapter 9. So speaking of God and his love, 2,700 years ago, Isaiah wrote these words in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. He said, for a child is born to us and a son is given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and his government and its peace will never end. And, and then 700 years later, Jesus is born. Jesus shows up and, and, and Luke, one of the disciples, he actually records it for us this way in Luke chapter two, beginning with verse one. It says, at that time, the Roman emperor, Augustus, he decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman empire. And this was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all of them returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. By the way, um, if you uh, are new to this story, I, I think it's important for us to look at the way that Luke is unpacking it, like, right? Because this isn't like once upon a time. This wasn't a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. No, he's going, these are real dates, real people in real time. It was when this guy was governor here and this is what was happening in the world. These are the events that unfolded. Verse four, he says, and because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea. David's ancient home. And he traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. And he took with him Mary to whom he was engaged. She was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in, snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. Now, if we were just to be honest for just a second, 
There's nothing really special about this story so far. It's special to us because we know where it's headed and we know what it all means. But without that, right, if we're just, if we're just looking at the details, we're just looking at the words, the, the events that Luke is recording, it's really not that special. And what I mean is there, there's nothing really inspiring or life-changing about these verses just as they're written. I, I love the, the difference between the, the book of Luke and the, and the book of John, two, two different disciples that were writing about similar events, writing and recording the events of Jesus's life. And, and if you read John chapter one, he's, he's way more of a poet. He's the creative. He's the, the starving Hollywood artist. And John chapter one, verse one, he, he actually begins the story of Jesus this way. He says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. I think that's how it's supposed to be read. You can almost hear this epic, really super dramatic music playing underneath it as you read it. But Luke is a doctor. He's a historian. He's a researcher. He doesn't care about inspiring us or motivating us. He wants to teach and inform us so that we know exactly when and how things happen. Now, the truth of this, there's nothing really inspiring about a census, but Luke is using that as a marker so that people know like, oh, this is when all this unfolded. And and who really cares when Quirinius was governor of Syria or even even that he was the governor of Syria? Like, no, but that's not life. Like, oh, man, that really helps me in my life knowing that Quirinius was the governor of Syria when Jesus was born. And, And even the details about Mary and Joseph, at the end of the day, the story, if it's not the story of God, it's just a story about a guy and his pregnant fiance traveling to a little town, and then they have their baby, just like everyone else has babies. And the way that Luke writes it, it isn't exactly the language of a story about love. And I think that's part of the point. Because what I want you to see is that God's extraordinary love shows up for us in the most ordinary moments of our lives, that, that it's in and amongst family drama, it's in and amongst travel plans, it's in and amongst government decrees that we may or may not agree with, God's love in those moments breaks in and finds us, that those are the exact kinds of specific details that we, even though they're not that inspired, that we should actually look at and go, like, this, is, this could be any of our lives, traveling somewhere to fulfill some duty with all kinds of family stuff happening that's out of our control, all kinds of stuff going on in the world out of our control. And in that moment that that's where God's love breaks in and finds us. In Luke chapter two, verse eight, he continues. He says, that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them And the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. The angel reassured them and said, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born in Bethlehem, the city of David. Okay, now we're talking, right? Now now things are starting to get a little bit more exciting. Now, now we're starting to see how this is unfolding, right? Because you got angels appearing to shepherds 
and the radiance of God's glory surrounding them, which is understandably terrifying, right? If you're out in a field, you're out walking your dog, you're out hanging out with your sheep, and all of a sudden an angel is there and a light, God's glory shines down from it. You can't even see where the source of it is coming from, and you're surrounded. Yeah, you can understand why they would be absolutely terrified. And then there's the announcement that this ordinary baby that was just born isn't an ordinary baby at all, but that the baby is God himself. The baby is love wrapped in skin. It's the eternal taking on time and space, God becoming human, not a, not a king or a ruler or royalty. It was the most high becoming the most low. There are times in relationships where you can send someone else in your place, where you can go like, I I can't be there, but I can send somebody to speak on my behalf, to pass on a message, to tell them this, right? You can send someone to represent you. And, And when you look back over the story of God and humanity in the Old Testament, we actually can see that, that God was there, but he wasn't really accessible to everyone. And so he had prophets and preachers and angels and even bushes and clouds and donkeys speaking for him at different times. But at some point, love requires us to show up. And the scriptures tell us over and over and over again that God showed his love, that he demonstrated it, that that his love drove him to do something. And the something that it drove him to do was to take on humanity and become one of us. See, because there's a lot of things that I can communicate to my wife via messenger. But if I want her to know how much I love her, I better show up and say it in person, right? It's not like dad wanted me to pass you this note. He's watching the game, but he thought you should know he loves you. Yeah, it's not quite the same, right? See, because it was only for us that he came. And and that's what Isaiah kept saying in that verse that we read, that to us a son is born, to us a son is given, that that God had nothing to gain, there was no benefit to him, it was only cost and sacrifice. It it wasn't for him that he lived and died, it wasn't for him that he made himself vulnerable, It, it wasn't good news of great joy for God, it was good news of great joy for all people, it was for us. Have you ever done something motivated by love that was at great cost, but the the person that you did that thing for, they didn't even really notice at all? I mean, besides that being every single day of being a parent, besides that, Hansi and I, my wife and I are wired, wired completely differently, and she could actually care less about giving gifts, and I love to give gifts and I love to receive gifts. And so um, we're gonna, I'm registered on Amazon. Um, if you guys want to put that, if anybody wants to, I'm just kidding. When we first got married, it was really easy for me to plot and to plan and to save and to hatch the perfect plan for the perfect gift for her and then for her not to care at all. Like at all. And so God makes the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate overture of love. And his love is exactly what we need right when we need it. And yet it took the angels announcing to some shepherds for anybody to even notice at all. By the way, 
I think you maybe should try that next time. Next time you, you, you do something special for someone, do something sacrificial or loving, just send a group of people to announce it to that person. Like, I have good news of great joy. Randy has put gas in your car. And then they all just start cheering and high-fiving and breaking the worship song. He's a good, good husband. That's who he is. That's who he is. Like, I think that's a great idea. Like, I don't know about you guys. So lots of people know John 3.16, right? Like, like people put it on signs at football games and people, it's all over the world. You know, even if people who have never been in church before, they, they can kind of sort of stumble their way into it. Like they know the idea that, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish at all, but would have eternal or everlasting life. But that same John, the same John that actually wrote those words, he wrote a couple of letters that, are, uh, that appear later on in the New Testament. And in 1 John 3.16, this is what he says. He says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. I think that truth is so powerful and so true. And I love that you could just stop after the word Jesus and it wouldn't be any less true, right? Like, this is how we know what love is, Jesus. That's how we even just have any idea what actually love looks like. See, the reality is only God is perfect enough to love you perfectly. The problem that we have is that that we keep looking to other people to meet the needs that we have and that deep in our soul, right? We we keep putting someone else's face on love, but it, it never works because the love that you're looking for can only be found or foreshadowed in another person. It can only be found in Jesus. Only God is capable of being all of that for you all the time at the depth that you need it. So often we end up suffocating and sabotaging our relationships and the people in our lives because we're trying to get from them what only God can give us. See, that, that's why it's good news of great joy for all people because love clothed itself in humanity and it's come for us. The only one who can satisfy the human soul has come. In 1943, Bing Crosby recorded I'll Be Home for Christmas. A few years ago, we were having some family time, and uh, we were talking about Christmas songs, and this song came up, and um, my son Jaron, I don't know, he was like 14, 15 at the time, he's like, didn't then Bill Crosby sing this song, Bill Crosby? I was like, no, that, that's Bill Cosby, different guy, does not Bing Crosby, one pushes pudding pops on you. The other guy is saying, I'll be home for Christmas. But he, he recorded, I'll be home for Christmas. It was written from the perspective of a World War II soldier longing to be home while he's deployed, longing to be home for Christmas. And, and there's something about that song that I, I think kind of captures the longing of humanity during Christmas time. The, the longing to find our way home. Not, not just necessarily when we're separated from family and friends, because it certainly applies in that. But, but there's something about it that kind of captures a, a deeper longing in the human soul for home. One of my favorite movies is called Act of Valor, and it's about, it's a 
basically a military movie about SEAL Team 6. And the opening scene is a monologue where one of the Navy SEALs is reading from a letter that he wrote to the son of his best friend. And in that letter, he says these words. He says, you live your life by a code, an ethos. Every man does. It's your shoreline. It's what guides you home. And trust me, you're always trying to get home. It's an interesting observation, isn't it? That you're always trying to get home. I I remember the first time I watched that movie and I heard those words, I literally had this deep, like visceral reaction to them because something inside of me just was so moved by that, like so identified with that truth that that we're always trying to get home. I I think he's right. That, That that's what the longing for love in our life and our soul is, a a longing for the place that our soul belongs, a longing for the one who made us, a longing for a place where we're loved and we're known and we're accepted, where all of us, every single one of us, we're always trying to get home. Maybe it's just that at Christmas time, we're actually just a little bit more aware of it. And here's the deal. The scriptures actually paint the picture that our longing for home, our longing for love, this universal experience that every human being has, this longing for love is actually a longing for the God who created us. See, the story begins with God creating humanity to live in perfection, to experience the incredible joy of being connected to him, to live in the closeness and intimacy with our creator. See, that's what you were created for, to live in the center of God's love, to receive all of the approval and the acceptance that your soul would ever need. Having the very deepest longings of your soul and your spirit completely satisfied by the God who created you. But then we were cut off from that by our own choices. And every single pursuit And the truth that the scriptures point us to is every pursuit since then is an attempt for us to recreate what we had. There's a searching, a longing, a looking to find our way home. See, if I'm honest, when I look at my life, there are some pretty painful lessons that I've learned in the last 10, 12, 15 years and some that I'm still learning. I've learned the hard way and maybe you can relate to this, but I've learned the hard way that if you wanna wind up empty, just tie your identity to your accomplishments. If you you wanna wind up and end up completely lost, tie your self-worth to the success that you achieve in your life. If you wanna hurt and destroy relationships and people, try to fill the void in your soul with the imperfect love of another human being. I hate to even admit this. I, I, I have a tendency to be pretty dissatisfied on the inside at different times in my life. I've gotten lost in the endless chase of what, when is it gonna be enough? If I could just get up there, if I could get enough money, if I could get enough stuff, if I could have enough success, if I can just grow the church to be a certain size, then it'll be enough. If my marriage was just this way or that way, it'd be enough. If my family was this way or that way, it'd be enough. But then you get there and it moves. 
And so in all these areas, we just keep following, keep chasing enough, but enough is super, super slippery and we just can't ever grab onto it and hold onto it. It never brings the kind of satisfaction and we always just end up empty and frustrated and alone and lost. I, I wish that I, could, I was able to stand up and tell you like I've got all the Jesus stuff figured out and, and I've got it down pat. I wish that I could stand up and talk to you about how my faith is perfect and I'm always content in him and I always trust him, but like, it's just not the case. Even though I grew up in church, even while being around the story and the message of Jesus, I've spent most of my life trying to get home some other way. But I'm learning. I'm learning to trust in. I'm learning to hold on to his love. Not religion, not a belief system, not ministry, not a church. The only thing that's perfect, the only thing that's rock solid, the only thing that never fails, only God's perfect love is enough for our love-starved hearts. Have you ever known someone who was just a little bit too spiritual where they were constantly looking at everything in life like it was a sign from God or a sign from the universe. I, I worked with a lady, this was going back a, a long time ago, but um, right, right before I was in full-time ministry and I was working in this office and, and, um, and my boss was spiritual, but she was not a, a follower of Jesus. She um, had some other beliefs, but she was constantly like, the universe was always sending her signals and signs. And, and so, you know, like, I, I'll never forget, like one day we're sitting in the office and a, uh, a Sprite truck drove by and it said, obey your thirst. And she was just like, oh, what does that mean? And I was like, I think it means they want you to buy a Sprite. I don't, I don't know. But we have a tendency to read meaning into things. Right now, so we have a, we have a big uh, a truck that we use to like, pack all this stuff away every week and bring it here. And it's, it's stored across town at a storage facility. So like five or six weeks ago, I think maybe longer now, seven weeks ago, um, I went to pick up the truck and the previous week, somebody had let a, left a water bottle sitting on the bumper of the back of the truck and it made it all the way across town and back. And so we're like, oh, let's see how long we can do this. And it's still there like seven weeks later. <laughs> And every week I'm like, yes, God, you are so awesome. And I'm like, I know you didn't have anything to do with that, but yeah. I don't know why I get so much joy out of the fact there's a water bottle still on there. And then we're probably going to get a ticket when it falls off and we litter or something. I don't know. But it's so easy for us to kind of read things. I was telling everybody last week, okay, you guys, I know this is totally bogus, but this is the proof that God is with us. And when it falls off, we don't know what we're going to do. The church might as well close down because... I don't know what's going to happen. We, we all kind of like laugh at that stuff, but, but have you ever wished that God would just give you a sign that he's there, that he loves you, that he sees you, that you're not alone? A number of years ago, we were pastoring a church north of Sacramento, and uh, one of the most difficult experiences for me so far as a pastor, we had a young, a young family in our church, just about 30 years old, and uh, out of the blue, Charlie had a seizure, and he ended up having a tumor, and he ended up in a four-year battle with brain cancer that ultimately took him. And um, 
we spent a lot of time with his wife, and, and he had a little three-year-old at the time. And I remember after he died, we were sitting in her house, and she was just like, I just don't know. I don't know why would God allow. And she's all the normal questions. And I remember in that moment her saying, I just wish that God would just, if he would just give us, give me a sign that he's still there, that he still cares, like that, that somehow that he's still with me. And the truth is, is that whenever we go through really difficult stuff, Whenever we feel broken and lost, whenever, whether it's of our own choosing or because life happened, right? That, that, that's that thing that just kind of cries out like, God, are you there? Do you see me? Do you care? Would you just give me a sign? If you could just somehow show me that you're alive, that you're real. And one of the things I love about the Christmas stories in Luke chapter two, the angel says, I bring you good news of great joy that God is here, that heaven has come down, that the Savior has come. That's verse 11. And then in verse 12, he says this, and this will be the sign to you. You'll find the baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. It's so powerful that 700 years before that, and we didn't even read this scripture, but Isaiah chapter seven in a completely different chapter than we read earlier, Isaiah actually says, this will be a sign from God that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. See, God has given you a sign that he loves you and his name is Jesus. See, when the the shepherds went, as the angels had told them, That's exactly what they found, a baby lying in a manger wrapped in clothes. If you've ever been in that moment where you're hoping or waiting on God for a sign to prove that he loves you, I just want you to know that Christmas is that sign, that the baby in that manger is the sign, that Jesus is the sign, that the son of God hanging on a cross is the sign that you're looking for that he's with you, that he sees you, that he knows you because it's good news of great joy for all people. The beauty of of Christmas is the reality that God has come and has done and is doing everything he can to get your attention and my attention to get you and me to let him love us, to follow him as he lovingly leads us back home. A few minutes ago, I read from 1 John chapter 3. In the very next chapter, John writes these words in 1 John 4, verse 7 and 8. He says, friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. And anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God for God is love. And I love that. See, we all crumble under the weight of, of the human longing to be loved perfectly. And when we try to squeeze love from anything or anyone else, we actually end up being less 
loving. But the more love that you get from God, the more you allow him to love you, the more love you have to give because he's not just loving, he is love itself. If you wanna be more loving, it's not trying to be more loving is the key. Being more loved is the key to being more loving. Allow God, open yourself up to the God who is love. He doesn't just love you, he is love itself and allow him to flood your soul. And that's the good news. He's not far away. He's right here. He's with us. That's the significance of the Christmas story. Not that it creates some magical time where everything is perfect between you and the people that you love or or that the people around us can finally love us the way we want to be loved, but that God himself, the source of love, love itself has come to dwell among us and live among us, that he is as close and as accessible to us as we could ever want him to be, that he's closer than the breath in your lungs, but that we don't have to earn his love, but that he gives it to us freely so we can receive the love that our soul craves right in the moment that we need it. The power of the Christmas story is that love showed up that God is with us and he came to love us and to show us the way home to him. If you're a skeptic, you're not a believer, if you've maybe kind of believe in God but the Jesus thing's never really been the thing that you anchor your life to, I just want you to know like, He's right here, right now. And you can reach out to him and experience his love in this moment. And honestly, it will change everything for you. Maybe for you as a believer, but maybe you're a little bit like me sometimes where you find yourself trying to find your way home some other way. Creating the perfect experiences, creating the perfect family thing, the right traditions, the right memories, like, And all those things are awesome, but they're never gonna be the thing that satisfies your soul. Maybe this is the year that because of COVID, because of all the craziness in the world, you can't have all the things that you'd wanna normally have, but you can still experience hope, peace, and joy, and love because of Jesus. So every week this month, we've ended by just giving a, a, a little prayer that we're all gonna pray together and just that we can hold on to and pray throughout the week. We started with a prayer of hope, then a prayer of peace, a prayer of joy last week. This is the prayer that we can pray this week. Just a simple You find yourself being caught up. You find yourself being frustrated. You find yourself overwhelmed because things are not. You find yourself going into Christmas with all the sadness and anxiety because things are not how they're supposed to be. You can just say, God, help me rest in the reliability of your love instead of expecting to get from others what I can only get from you. It doesn't have to be 15 minutes worth of prayer, it can just be like, God, in this moment, as fully as I know how to do, I'm gonna just allow you to love me 
help me rest in the reliability of that love. Instead of trying to get the things that I'm so longing for from other people, help me only to focus on you because I know you're the only one who can give them. That's the prayer that we're gonna pray together. Let's pray.